There we are. I think I got Dan and IQ. Hello. How are you, IQ? I believe that's Dan calling. I will I'm gonna patch in Dan here and get him on the line with our guest. Give me a couple seconds here, IQ, and we will get everything hopefully set up here real quick. How are you today, IQ? How's everything going in your neck of the woods? Let's see. Dan. Perkins, maybe. Okay. Uh, we have got a great guest with us today. We're going to patch in Dan as, uh, as we... Uh, go here we've got walter hoy with us today he is fantastic and uh he has been uh involved in a lot of different things and uh walter um tell us a little bit about um this latest topic here you you basically are saying that in 169 years the total black fertility rate has dropped 77 percent talk to us a little bit about this yeah yeah uh I, I've been able to uh, get the, the records from the, the actual government. There's a, a study they published in a book, and they trace uh, our black American total fertility rate back really to the 1800s. And what they're saying is in 1850, we were at 7.9 in terms of our total total black fertility rate. Now you gotta understand, total fertility rate is simply this. In order for a population, a demographic of people to maintain their numbers, not get more or, or be less, just to maintain their number, they've gotta have 2.1 child or children per woman. And in wow. the 1850s, we were at 7.9. Uh, today, today, We've come all the way down from 7.9 to 1.8. We are no longer, black Americans are no longer e even replacing themselves. And what we've done is calculate the, the numbers. And we've got about, oh, 30 years, uh, 2050. If nothing changes by 2050 in terms of the rate that we abort our children, and nothing changes, everything stays the same, uh, we'll be looking at 1.3, and the problem with 1.3 is that, according to the World Population Bureau, that's irreversibility. In other words, there is no economic model that allows you to come back from 1.3. Wow. Uh, we have got a uh, great guest with us today. He joins us live here in a broadcast. And uh, IQ, what, 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 what do you make of these numbers, my friend? They sound very logical and true. And that's what's happening in Europe. I mean, in Europe, it's also the birth rate. It's so catastrophic, you know. Import people. And what they are doing to import people, they're importing the wrong people. They're importing Muslims who will never integrate and never assimilate and never contribute anything. It's a the great tragedy. By the way, James, I sent you and Dan a link which I need you to really look at. The, I'm not uh, digressing, but it's really important. Uh, well, a I... job and 
John Andrews, an ex-congressman from Colorado, on the 20th, 12th of July, gave a lecture or a talk to the Republican Party. Yes. In 10 minutes, he utterly destroyed Islam. In 10 minutes. Well, I will, uh, I, I will take a look at that. We have got a uh, great guest joining us to uh, start the first half of our broadcast here, Walter B. Hoy. He is a founder and president of Issues for Life Foundation, the California Civil Rights Foundation, uh, founder of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, an executive member of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition, and board member of the Morning Center, which was founded to provide free, full-service maternity care for women in the urban and underserved areas. He's also published author of a great book, Leadership from the Inside Out, and serves as a leadership consultant. And uh, Dan, uh, can you hear us, my friend? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. We, we, we've got you. Uh, do you have any questions here for Walter while, while we've got him on the phone here? Absolutely. Uh, Walter, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad you can hear me. Good. Thank you. Um, I want to... I want to ask you a couple of questions, but um, if Jim hasn't told you, um, you should be prepared that I'm not known for being politically correct. <laughs> Probably an understatement, huh, Jim? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I was listening today to Glenn Beck. And Glenn Beck was talking with a gentleman who was commenting on an article <clears throat> written about millennials going back to church and that people seem to have realized that no matter how much they believe they can do things on their own, a spiritual presence makes it a lot easier to achieve what they want to achieve. Um, if I understand what Jim was saying about what you, one of the many things that you do, you, uh, and these are my words, not Jim's, you, um, you try and empower people to use that terrible word, to take responsibility for their own actions and understand that there are resources within their own souls of how they can make a change in their life. Would that be a fair assessment? Uh, almost fair, almost fair. Uh, I would say that not their own, well, not their own soul. Their own, their own soul is, is, um, needs help. Everybody needs, needs help. And that's where Christ comes in. And so outside of that, um, we're, we're, we're on the same page. And we do have a program that deals specifically with that. And we do it uh, because the Issue of Life Foundation is dedicated to reaching black leadership. And we have a program that's been, that is highly effective at reaching black leadership. So I was involved in the civil rights movement in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and was on a, an organization that brought a class action suit against the Board of Education for segregation. And so I have been involved with, <clears throat> off and on, uh, with the plight of black people for a long time. But whenever I have an opportunity to ask a, a person of color, uh, 
this question, I, 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 I take that opportunity. What I don't understand, <clears throat> the, the, the black religions, the, the churches that the black people belong to, whether they were uh, major denominations or independent, uh, for a long, the longest time had a strong conviction about the value of life <clears throat> and were opposed pretty vehemently to abortion. But now, for some reason, we have uh, a, a run rate of uh, the number of black women having abortions uh, roughly about twice their percentage of the population. And and <clears throat> uh, they seem to be many of the Planned Parenthood clearings, clinics uh, for black women are in the poor neighborhoods of black communities. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask your opinion. What changed within the black religions that it was acceptable to kill children? The, the, the religion or the, the doctrine or the Bible has not changed. It's a great question, by the way, but the, the doctrine, the Bible, the Word of God, that hasn't changed. What changes is leadership. Uh, in, in one of my press releases, uh, I talk about where we were as a people in terms of leadership in the, in the mid-60s. If you get it to 1965, you can actually hear from Cecil Moore, a president of the NAACP in Philadelphia in 1965, and he's labeling Planned Parenthood's program as, and I'm quoting, replete with everything to help the Negroes commit race suicide. In the 60s, we understood that abortion took the life of an innocent child, an innocent human being, being a baby boy, a baby girl. There was no, no question about it. And Planned Parenthood's program, yes, they were targeting our community specifically, and it had everything we needed to commit race suicide. There was no question about that. But by the time you get to, from 1965, 1967, things changed dramatically. In 67, abortion is legal in three states, Mississippi, Colorado, California. And by 1973, abortion is, is legal uh, nationwide, Roe v. Wade, Dole versus Bolton. And, and today, um, the black Americans don't have the same opinion as they did back in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement. And let me tell you why. And I, I'm only going to talk about one. There are actually four specific reasons why black leadership rejects the pro-life movement. There are four specific reasons. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about one for, for time's sake, because that's all I have time for. But once you understand those four specific reasons, at that point, you're able to put together the best possible strategy to move uh, leadership from a to be and because we understand that we get it we get it um we've we've been highly effective in doing that in our programs where can we go where can i go and where can jim's audience go to find the four reasons no 
All right, that's easy. And in 2011, it's on my website. In, Which in is 2011, uh, uh, issues, issues, and that's plural, issues, the number four, life.org. Thank you. And on my, on my website, I have a library. And uh, the brothers come to my library to get information from a, a black Christian pro-lifer. Uh, they get tired of the mainstream media and they want to find out, well, what else is really going on. Uh, so they'll, they, everyone comes to my library. And now on the first floor in my library, this is important, you won't find it otherwise. On the first floor in my library, you'll see a department called Foundation News. I, are you are you still with me? Did I, yes, did I sir, I'm, here. I'm here. Foundation News. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's on the first floor of the library. It's Foundation News Letter Archive. So I want you to go to to the archive. Okay. Foundation Newsletter Archive. When you get to the Foundation Newsletter Archive, scroll all the way down to 2011. Uh, in 2011, I, I was tired of answering the question, this question. So I thought that if I wrote about it, that I wouldn't have to answer anymore. What happened was just the opposite. Uh, I wrote about it. It Everybody went viral. I'm still talking about it. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> 2011, in the October, September um, time frame there, you'll see a series called Betrayal Trauma. The Betrayal Trauma Series. I wrote it uh, in September, October timeframe, and it's a seven part series. It's written specifically for pastors. They don't have a lot of time. You gotta get right to the point. You gotta get right to it. And so this seven part series is just that. And it goes through all four reasons. I'll talk about one for, for time's sake, okay. but that's where you can find all Thank four you. reasons. All Thank right? you so much. Thank you so much. We have got a uh, great guest with us today. Walter B. Hoy II is with us. He is a uh, fantastic author, and he joins us today here in a broadcast. Now, um, uh, Dan, do you have any more questions for Walter? I know Walter's time is limited here, and we wanted to get him in and get him out. Uh, so, uh, uh, IQ, Dan, do you have any more questions for Walter? I do, how much time do we have, Walter? Uh, i got about 15 minutes. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I I I I will say to you I want to I want to ha- hear which any one of the four you want to pick, but I want you to think about one other question. It's a long it's a long question. What I don't understand, Walter, and uh, I, I do uh, a number of regular interviews with black talk show hosts all over the country, and we have built a kinship. We we talk about being brothers from different mothers because we have similar philosophies. What I don't understand, as a student of history of the United States, one can only conclude in truly looking at history that the Democratic Party, in and of itself, was responsible for slavery, it was responsible for the Jim Crow laws, the Ku Klux Klan, everything you want to talk about that was anti-black in this country came out of the Democratic Party. Why do the Democrats, why do the blacks vote so heavily Democrat today? All right, let, let me let me answer both those questions. And actually, that's on my website, uh, too, uh, by the way. Um, but 
Let me go back to the the, the, the first, the number one reason uh, black leadership rejects the pro-life movement, and that's this. Black leadership is post-abortive. And what I mean by that is this. There's an abortion in his or her life somewhere. It could be mom. It could, it could be uh, the wife. It could be the son. It could be the, the daughter. Uh, if he's a black pastor in a black church, he's preaching to an entire congregation that's post-abortive. Uh, the worst case scenario is uh, that he's married. Uh, it's his girlfriend in the back of the choir. He stole church money uh, to pay for uh, the abortion at Planned Parenthood. And so there, there's no way that you can come uh, to him and get right down to it unless you've got a strategy in your tool bag that allows you to deal with uh, uh, a leader that's post-abortive. Now we do, we, we understand that process, we get it, and we're able to effectively deal with that. So while you can uh, share the data, share the facts, you can share whatever you like, uh, I'm sure it's all good, uh, he's still struggling. She's still struggling. And if you don't know how to deal with what he or she is struggling with, you're not going to be able to get. In other words, if you don't know the reason why someone is saying no, you don't have much of a hope of getting them to say yes. Hmm. Now, to get to that other question, to get to that other question, uh, I wrote about that too. Let me see. Let me see. It's in my library somewhere. And at one point, uh, all of us were, um, all black Americans were Republican. If, if you go back uh, to, the, to the Civil War, uh, the end of the Civil War, and you take a look at the first seven public officials, I think three, uh, six were Congress members and one was a senator. Uh, all of us, for the very first, were Republican. And there was a reason why we were Republican. There was no question why uh, we were all part of the Republican Party. The reality is that the, the Democrat Party was the party of the Klan. And on my website, I've got documentation that dates back to 1850, I believe. And it talks about a, a, a congressional report. The, the government was looking into the relationship between the Ku Klux Klan and the Democrat Party, and the evidence was overwhelming. It was absolutely ridiculous. There was no question in our mind uh, that the, the Democrat Party was the party of the Klan. No question. No question. But now things have changed. Things have changed. We, we've come uh, from... The end of the Civil War, we've come from Reconstruction, where all of us were Republican, but we came to something very specific in 1877, and that explains what happened. Uh, that explains why we no longer vote exclusively Republican anymore. And what was that event in 1877? Uh, in 1877, you have the probably the most unique presidential election in history. Uh, you've got, uh, I believe it's Rutherford B. Hayes versus Tilden, 
And this was the only presidential election that could not be settled uh, by way of the Electoral College. It couldn't be settled. So what they did was meet in a, a black man's hotel in Washington, D.C. And they struck a deal, 1877. The Democrats had a little more going for them in terms of votes, but not quite enough. The Republicans didn't didn't even have as much as the Democrats, but enough to, to force this, uh, this deal. The Democrats understood that their reputation was so bad that they were never going to be able to get the uh, you know the, the, the former slaves to vote Democrat. That wasn't going to happen. No way. Uh, so they were better politicians than the Republican Party. What they did was say, well, we'll make the Republican Party look just as bad as the Democrat Party, and that will confuse everybody, and it worked. Essentially, they said this to the Republican Party in this meeting in Washington, D.C., in this black man's hotel. They said, hey, we'll let you have the presidency if you will give us a few concessions. Now, one of the concessions was removing the troops from the South. You see, during Reconstruction, the reason why black folk could go to the polls and vote wasn't because the South was, you know, uh, uh, different. The South hadn't, you know, forgiven everybody and fell in love with everybody. That wasn't the case. They were still racist as the day is long. Uh, there was no way. They were mad, angry. They lost. It was nothing was, was really changed for them uh, except for they were defeated uh, and they were being forced uh, to allow this to happen. So as long as the troops were there, we could go to the polls and nobody was raped, nobody was lynched, nobody was shot. You know, we could go to the polls, vote, and come back home. Well, when they removed the troops from the South, all that changed. And if you look at history, it's right there in history. The Klan researched. Every, every Klan went back to what it was always doing. And that made it difficult. And essentially, the Republican Party sold out black America. The Republican Party preferred power over people. And when they did that, the black vote switched. The black vote went from being exclusively Republican to, well, sometimes Republican and sometimes Democrat. It's that way all the way until the mid-60s, all right? In between that time and the mid-60s, whoever had the best anti-lynching program got, you know, the, the black vote. But in the 60s, King is arrested. King is in jail. I'm running through this. And guess who gets him out of jail? It's Kennedy. Oh, my goodness. Nixon could have, but Nixon is racist, too. And so Kennedy is smart. Democrats are smart. Once again, they get King out of jail. At the time, the media was different. So whatever happened with Martin Luther King just went worldwide. Daddy King gets up on, on media, in the media and thanks the president, you know, or Kennedy for getting this boy out of jail. Oh, my goodness. Once we all heard this in the 60s, uh, we all started voting Democrats. They got King out of jail. And from then on, it's just been more and more and more of us voting Democrat. Again, the Democrats were smarter, uh, better politicians than the, the Republicans. And I, I could go on, and particularly we get into you know, recent events, but essentially 1877 is when it started. And from then on, it's just gotten worse.
We have a situation today where I, I, I'm going to squeeze in one more quick question, and I thank you so much for your time. Based on what you know today, as you talk to your constituents around the country, will black people vote for Donald Trump in 2020? I think Donald Trump's going to win in 2020, so let me say that right now, uh, right up front. And I do think black people are going to vote for him. Uh, we, uh, we're we pro-life, and we were given the assignment early, um, you know, 20, uh, 2011, 2012, to, to kind of do what we could to move the black vote, which was like 90, 95% plus. Uh, for Barack Obama, it was just they were going to vote Democrat no matter what, and so we we at the black the national we the national Black Pro Life Coalition came together. We put together a plan. We were going to do it all all together as one, but we decided if we did it individually, individual organizations, we'd be more difficult to stop. The plan worked. Uh, the Issue for Life Foundation put together a series of, of videos, unique, unlike any other for any other videos before about one minute in length, and I put the first one up on Facebook. My goodness. The first one reached 350,000-plus voters. Oh, my goodness. It was going wild. Uh, essentially, all of us were putting our programs together, those of us that are in the National Black Pro-Life Coalition, and we were able to move the black vote Oh, about three or four percent, which turned out to be just enough for Trump to get elected in 20, oh, excuse me, in 2016. And so, um, as I look at 2020, uh, we're, we're even, a lot of things have, have come along. We've got more information, more data. There's a whole lot more to say, and we're going to be even sharper uh, in the 2020 election. So I think that we're going to be able to move the black vote, uh, you know, one or two percentages more uh, than we did, than he won the first time. So I think he's going to win again in 2020. Uh, I think we're going to be able to do things that are going to help move the vote. And my time is running out. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, I appreciate it, my friend. We're going to take a uh, brief break, and we've got our second guest on the way. Dan Perkins and IQ Rizzoli will be back with us here in just a few moments, taking a quick break. Attention, this is a public notice from Citizens Disability. If you are one of the millions of Americans who are disabled and unable to work, you may be entitled to disability benefits from Social Security. Receiving benefits is your right if you suffer from a physical or mental disability. Whether you're applying for the first time or you've already been denied, 
Citizens Disability can help. You'll be given an advocate who will evaluate your situation, handle your application, and deal with Social Security. Best of all, there is no fee until you receive your benefits. We only get paid if you win your case. To get started with your free no-obligation consultation, call 800-504-1639. That's 800-504-1639. There are a vast number of conditions that can make you eligible for disability benefits, many that you may not be aware of. So if you're disabled and unable to work, Call Citizens Disability today. Again, that's 800-504-1639. 800-504-1639. That's Citizens Disability. 800-504-1639. Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are coast to coast in Bowling the Motor on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com. Tune in, iTunes, Sun Radio Loyalty. We have got a great guest patiently waiting on the telephone. We'll get to them here. Hey, Krista, how are you, my friend? I'm going to patch in our other two co-hosts here, and we will get off and running. Give me just a couple seconds here, and we will uh, get things going. Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are Coast to Coast and Border to Border on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com. Tune in iTunes and, of course, Radio Loyalty today. And uh, our next guest, uh, patiently waiting here on Skype, we're going to get Dan Perkins and IQ Rizzoli all loaded up and ready to go here. And uh, get a hold of us on iHeartRadio. Download the iHeartRadio app today and uh, check it out. We also want to thank uh, Walter Hoy for uh, being with us in our first segment. And we've got Dan Perkins and IQ, I believe, joining us. Um, yeah. Yep. Now, uh before we get into our our next guest, what did you guys think of our previous guest, Walter Hoy? Well, we both had concluded we talked off the air that you have to get him back for an hour. <laughs> okay. Well, I will see what I can do about uh, about making that happen. A lot of questions. Uh, IQ said if I would just shut up, he could probably answer it. He probably could. Have <laughs> I never knew I was 1877, and it's really very interesting, and it makes sense. The the beauty of an answer is when it makes sense. Yes. Yes. So we need you you to get him back on so we can talk, because I had some other things I wanted to ask you. We just didn't have time, so we could we could easily do an hour with him. Yes, yes. Well, uh, our next guest, I think we could easily do an hour with as well. Uh, Krista Huff joins us. She's a stock market expert, political activist, and TPP expert. She is a stock market expert, fiscally conservative political activist. She works for CABOTWealth.com and is a chief analyst of uh, an undervalued stocks advisor and a weekly stock market newsletter as well. And uh, Krista, Welcome to the program. How are you, my friend? Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you all? Good, thank you. Now, um, you you have got three investment strategies for the next market sell-off. Talk to us a little about these. I know you and Dan are going to have a uh, interesting conversation here. So, uh, <laughs> talk to me about the three investment strategies for the next market sell-off. Um, you know. Uh when the market starts to fall, you want to um, 
you want to always have cash available to buy low uh, because what really stinks is watching your investments go down and feeling helpless about it. But if you always have cash available, like in the money market fund within your investment account, then when the market goes down, it's like the annual sale at Nordstrom's. You get to go on a shopping spree. You get to buy Netflix that just fell $73 in the last couple of days. And then when it bounces back up, you know, right away you've got 20, 25% profit. So that's the most important thing, anything anyone needs to know about a market downturn is always have cash available so that you can turn lemons into lemonade. Now, Dan, uh, you do a lot with investments, but what do you make of this strategy, my friend? Well, I, um, I have been a registered investment advisor for 48 years, uh, managing money for entrepreneurs in a small private practice uh, all over the world. And, um, you know, I, I, have, I have some s- similar tenets in what I do when I speak to my clients. First and foremost, I believe regardless of market conditions, regardless of market conditions, you always need cash. I have been opposed to Wall Street for the 40 some years that I've been in to be fully invested in having no cash because if something comes along and you have no cash, whether it's a buying opportunity because the market crashes or it's because you find an investment you wanna do, when you have to sell something to buy something, there's something wrong. So I agree with you 100%. Having cash, I'm probably right now around 15% cash in my portfolios. Uh, second of all, I believe in getting paid while I wait. I like dividends a lot. Dividends have contributed more to the S&P total return over the last 10 years than, than appreciation. And uh, thirdly, I'm a strong believer in asset diversification. Uh, my portfolios start out with no one position greater than 5% of the total overall portfolio. So if I make a mistake, I don't kill my clients. So having broad diversification, stocks, bonds, and cash, uh, and getting paid by you wait diminishes the volatility, and as you said, produces the opportunity if you have cash to take advantage of sell-offs when they come. I think we have really similar strategies. Uh, lots of the stocks I recommend have big dividend yields like Dow Chemical and Guess and such. Um, yeah, it's, good. it's wonderful to have the money constantly replenishing your money market fund, whether it's your IRA or your taxable account, and then you can redeploy that money as you see fit, um, taking advantage of opportunities that pop up uh, like today. Um, I noticed that Citigroup dramatically raised the price target on Leg Mason. And I'm like, oh, well, I own Leg Mason. And so I looked into it a little farther, and RBC raised the price target yesterday and somebody else last week. And I, and I thought, ooh, they're about to report earnings, and these companies are going bullish right before earnings. That could be a good idea. So I, I bought some more Leg Mason today. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I follow my expertise is energy and debt Mm -hmm. and i i followed the treasury markets and uh today uh we were eight basis points eight basis points spread between the 90 day and the 10 year oh very close wow and so i wouldn't be surprised with the fed action next week the yield curve doesn't go positive again it's it's not a negative slope um 
And um, I'm curious, so what do you think is going to happen between now and the elections? Uh, I don't necessarily think the markets are going to uh, move around based on the election unless um, unless what I would consider the obvious outcome to change. Now, I think right now it's somewhat of a slam dunk that uh, Donald Trump is going to be reelected. And the market doesn't like to be surprised. So I think the market right now, and I'm not saying that people um, support or don't support Trump. I'm saying right now everyone believes he's going to be reelected. So if that tide changes and suddenly it looks like it's going to be Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or someone, um, the market will initially go down as it becomes clear that, that that change might be taking place. And then the market will, so everyone will sort of sit, sit still and try and figure out what this means in the grand scheme of things. And then the market may or may not rebound um, quickly or slowly. But basically, anything that's different from the status quo causes the market to sort of freak out and go down a bit. Yeah. I, th I think that the greatest, and I've said this on the show before, I think the greatest unknown about where the market's going to go is the outcome of the trade discussions between the United States and China. Mm -hmm. And that's such a complicated topic. And so I know that for quite a while, I think people were expecting some kind of quick agreement. Uh, but these trade agreements are so huge. A couple of years ago, when I was working on the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement, it was five 1,544 pages long. Now, the China agreement probably isn't that long, but it could easily be over 1,000 pages. So it's just not something that's going to be taken care of quickly. But in the relative scheme of things, when mm -hmm. you look at what Mr. Trump has been able to accomplish with Mexico, Canada, mm -hmm. Japan, South Korea, and mm -hmm. Europe, the, the conventional wisdom of taking years and years and years to negotiate these deals uh -huh. It's not happened. It's it's happening much faster. And That's I agree right. with you. The China deal is, the China deal is important, very important to both economies. But I again, I think the mainstream media uh, is doing a terrible disservice to the American people and American investors because they're not really helping the American investor understand what is the implication of the. 25% tariff on imported goods from China. What is it doing to the economy? And they're not reporting it, and it's very hard to find detailed information in the United States. You have to go overseas to the overseas news services. Um, you know, the, the last quarter GDP growth for China was the slowest in 27 years. I don't. I didn't see that anywhere on even on Fox. I didn't see it, but that was the case. Twenty twenty seven years, um, the number of businesses who have moved to China, uh, who are now talking to the Chinese government about leaving because mm -hmm. of the sanctions. Uh, there's a lot of internal pressure on the middle class and on the manufacturing class class in China, and but we're not getting much of that. And I suspect that if we do get a fair trade deal with China, uh, you could see explosive growth in the U.S. economy. Uh-huh. It could be uh, incredibly beneficial, somewhat similar to the benefits of deregulation, which have been completely stealth. You're not going to hear about that on the news. 
uh, but it's made it a lot uh, less expensive to do business in America. What do you say, uh, and IQ, I'll shut up after this question and give you a chance. Um, what do you say to the people who, who are forecasting that the Fed's, before it's all said and done, is going to take the 90-day back to 20, 0 to 25? Uh, you know, I don't really see why the Fed is planning to lower interest rates in the near future. And I think we might get a big surprise at the end of this month when they they could literally backpedal and not lower rates at all. And, and the reason I think so is we just had strong June retail sales come in above expectations. The Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Index came in four times higher than economists were expecting. Uh, consumer savings um, are growing, and financial companies are reporting lower charge-offs and lower delinquency rates. All of these things point to a strong economy, and there is no reason to lower interest rates when economy an economy is stable or strong. So I think I think we might be in for a big wrench thrown thrown into the um, the bond market and then reverberating into the stock market. Mm. I key up to you. For once, I would say you better continue because my my forte is Islam. <laughs> Economic is yours. But my question would be is this, which I've repeatedly said on the show. My anticipation is as long as the GDP in America is going 3, 3.1, 3.2 or more until the day of the election, there is no chance in hell that Donald Trump will lose. But if the economy goes down, I honestly believe there's a good chance he would do. What do you think? I would say, uh, yes, the GDP is strong and it really bodes well for Mr. Trump. Um, it could erode a little bit between now and November. Um, I wouldn't anticipate, uh, I can't really see any, ha any reason why it could erode dramatically enough to scare people, although frankly, it you know the GDP growth could go from like 3.1 to 2.8, and the news media could turn that into a disaster and scare people on purpose. They're very good at doing that. I saw uh, last week. Speaking of that, I saw a report uh, on one of those um, um, news stations uh, that have a bias towards the president. Uh, predicting that first second quarter GDP will come in at 1.8 percent. 1.8. Yep. From 3.2 uh, to 1.8. I think it'll be a little higher just because all of the recent, uh, well, most of the recent economic statistics I've been seeing have been coming in higher than expected, and those are all part of May and June numbers. So I'm thinking that 1.8 is a little bit low. Right. That they'll be embarrassed that they missed it again. I, I've, I've, I've been in this business 48 years, and I am amazed in 48 years how many times I have seen economists get numbers wrong. Yeah. They're terrible forecasters. Uh, they are. They are indeed. I've been doing this for 31 years. Um, I, for most of that time, I, I paid a lot more attention to the stock market than I did to economic numbers. And then in more recent years, I'm, I'm far more attuned to the economic numbers, largely because I'm always so amazed at the way things are portrayed in the media versus the, the actual the reality. Uh, reality. Right, right. Now, I, I need to mention this. I, I have never owned a television. I do not watch TV. 
And so I'm not normally exposed to the sensationalism and negativity of uh, the popular news media. But because I'm very political, um, I, I, I still end up being aware of what's going on in the news media. And I am, I'm just floored at how biased and negative they are. And it scares the hell out of investors. And I, I wish people would just turn off their televisions, basically, so that they could relax and make wise investment decisions without, being the, without having the nightly news wagging the dog. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you totally. I, I, one of the things that I have to constantly tell my clients about is that we're making decisions for longer term, not the next 90 days, mm -hmm. you know, the next 20, 30 years. But, the, but these, the hype that comes out of these shows, you're right, does scare people. So it's not helpful to the investor. It's not helpful to me or you as an investment professional to, uh, to deal with things. And, you know, when, when you get, when you, when you get, I always felt that, that it was, um, that people, when they try to manage them, manage their money themselves, but, but not hiring a professional, they always get in trouble. They already have way too many positions, too many accounts. They can't follow what their money's doing. They don't have a cohesive strategy. They just pick whatever Uncle Joe says I should have today. Mm -hmm. But but I want to in a uh, few minutes we have left. I want to I want to pick your brain. Um, do you have favorite sectors or stocks that you th think look attractive to buy today for the long term? Um, okay, so. I tend to take a growth slash value approach. I like stocks that have strong earnings growth, low PE, low debt ratio. Um, and then if I find um, stocks that fit those numerical patterns, then I look at the price chart and I try to buy as the chart is turning bullish. So it would not be unusual for me to be, you know, to go shopping in an industry that's been trashed just as they're starting to go up again. So one good example of that kind of industry is uh, apparel stocks. Um, you can, the average, the average dividend yield on, uh, let's say, the top nine um, apparel retail stocks is over 4%. It's shocking. Now, you have to pick and choose. You don't want Macy's, but you do want Guess, for example, because guess out of all the guess has double-digit um, profit growth expected this year and next year, and many of the others uh, don't remotely have profit growth like that. So you can't just pick the one where you like to shop. You have to find the one that's financially solvent and and thriving. Uh, but amongst the apparel stocks, yeah, I would go for um, um, Abercrombie and uh, Guess. Those are the those are the ones that look the best, I think. So let me, I'm going to put you on the spot, okay? Uh-huh. What do you think about investing in cannabis? All right. First of all, I have a coworker, the publish the publisher of my company, which is Cabot Wealth, C-A-B-O-T. He, pu he publishes probably the premier marijuana stock newsletter in the country. So what I tell people when they ask me about marijuana stocks, I, I tell them, you don't want my opinion you want to go read Tim Lutz's newsletter because anything that I would say 
I, I would have like 5% of the knowledge that he would have. Now, uh, in general, I'm not big on the idea of investing in marijuana. Uh, they legalized it in Colorado where I was leaving where I was living before they started legalizing it in many other states. And uh, it has dramatically harmed uh, the state in many ways. And so I'm just cringing as I'm hearing it being legalized more and more around the country. So you don't like it as an investment opportunity? Um, it could be a great investment opportunity, but it is not one that I will be uh, partaking in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Jim, back to you. Well, I'll tell you that this has definitely been a heck of a uh, heck of an interview here. Um, now, now, Krista, uh, yeah. how do people get a hold of you online, social media, all that? Okay, it's Krista Huff. Huff rhymes with Huff and Puff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and um, LinkedIn. And if somebody wants to do like a, a one dollar trial on my newsletter. Just go to cabotwealth.com slash Krista, and it doesn't matter how you spell Krista because it'll take you to that page no matter how you spell it. <laughs> so uh, uh, basically, um, I write a, a weekly newsletter. Um, it's long. There are like 30 stocks that I cover. I update all the numbers and price chart information and plus any news information every single week on those 30 stocks. Plus, I write an introduction that might have to do with economics or real estate. Sometimes I get political. Um, I try real hard to be polite, but I'm telling you right now, I am a fiscal conservative and um, I would consider, I, I don't even know how you could be an investment professional and not be a fiscal conservative. Fantastic. Well, uh, do you do, Jim, can I ask you a quick question? Go ahead. Jump in there, my friend. Go ahead. Do you, does your firm simply provide advice or do you actually manage m money and execute? Okay, so Cabot is a publisher. We publish stock market newsletters. There are approximately eight or nine of those newsletters. I will okay. tell you that my coworkers are brilliant people, and each of them has their own specialty, such as uh, emerging markets, options, dividends, et cetera. So I'm the, I'm the growth slash value analyst. So you provide the research, mm -hmm. but you don't handle the execution or accounts. Correct. We don't touch okay. anybody's money. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. That, I, I forgot to ask that earlier. <laughs> All right. And I used to do that long ago at, at Morgan Stanley. Uh, I was um, a vice president and financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. And then after that, I was a stay-at-home mom. And now I'm writing the stock market newsletter. I used to do it for Mother Merrill, as we used to call her. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, Jim. Thanks. Now, uh, now, now, Krista, um, what 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 do you see as uh, I guess something that we need to be aware of uh, as uh, with the stock market and Trump and the upcoming election and everything else? I'll tell you something that no one seems to be talking about. So sometimes I wonder, like, can I be wrong? But then I'm like, no, I'm not wrong. Uh, <laughs> so I think we're going to get incredible food and energy inflation um, during the next two years. First of all. Um, the Midwest is still, you know, greatly suffering from all of the flooding and now the heat wave. They didn't get to plant this year for the most part. So all the prices are going to be going up on grains, for example. And then lots of livestock died in the first quarter from all of that flooding. And then over in um, China and Asia, you've got African swine fever has wiped out 
half of the Chinese hog population, there were 440 million hogs in China, and at least 200 million of them have died, and they do not have this disease under control. So we're going to see large increases in the prices of meat and grains, and then there's this whole new um, international maritime organization uh, rule that goes into effect in January, where all of the ships on the world's oceans um, have to switch to low sulfur fuel. And so that's going to be very expensive and get passed on to the consumer, but the beneficiaries will be the uh, oil refining companies. So I am definitely buying those stocks. Amazing, amazing. And what stocks? What stocks would you buy for oil? Low, low sulfur producing oil companies. Um, the three that I would buy again because I like their finances better than their competitors um, are um, Marathon Petroleum, uh, Holly Frontier, and Valero Energy. Uh, also PBF Energy. Okay. So four of them. Yeah. I own two of them. So okay, I'm, I'm half right. <laughs> You can also you can also trade those if there's another hurricane or storm coming in the Gulf Coast. You can buy them. Let's say as soon as you hear about the storm developing, and then you want to sell. And this is for traders. Then you want to sell them um, right right after landfall. You don't want to hold them for two more weeks after landfall. And I have I also um, have traded options in that way. And so so far I made money on Storm Barry. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, uh, as as we wrap up here, IQ, how do we find you online, my friend, and get involved with you? Just Google Al-Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. And thank you for excellent guests. Yes, we've had some really good guests today. Now, Dan, uh, wrap up with us here and uh, tell us how we find you and bring us up to speed on the nonprofit and everything else. Well, if you go to uh, danperkins.guru, you'll see under the columns commentary, you'll see a joint commentary by IQ and myself concerning uh, whether or not Donald Trump can trust the Ayatollah, who's talking about possibly coming back to the table to renegotiate the understanding on the nuclear agreement. And um, so we did a, an interesting joint piece I guess this is the this is the 